0: This morning, um, as you listen to this message, listen through the greatest baggage that you have in your life. Everybody's got baggage. Uh, We all do. You just carry it around. You lug it around. Uh, I went on a mission trip when I was just a newbie pastor, and we went to Guatemala. And on the, in the stages before we're there, um, the, 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 everybody meets, you talk about the trip, you see pictures of where you're going, we're building churches, and uh, they said, well, here's what we'd like you to do. Everyone gets a 50-pound bag that's your personal items, and everybody also gets a 50-pound tub or a bag of tools. Tools are not light. <laughs> Uh, we had a bag of hammers. Somebody had a bag of, I don't know, cinder blocks. We, we shipped all this stuff over there, and it was terrible to lug this thing through the airport. You throw your back out trying to get it out of the car, get it on the conveyor belt. It's the bag that you hate the most. Everybody has baggage that you drag around. And so today, as you listen to this message, listen through the perspective of baggage. Maybe it's a person or a situation, something that scarred you, Listen through something that is clinging out and holding you back. And I'm praying that today, for somebody, it works a miracle for you. That you understand the forgiveness and healing that comes only through Jesus. So let's pray and let's dive in. Heavenly Father, this morning, as we uh, open your word, as we, as we kind of dwell in the vagueness of, of uh, unspoken words, may your Holy Spirit tailor this message to our hearts to uh, move us in a way where we can understand you better, where we can see the freedom that only comes through Jesus. So God, uh, just bless us now in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you've experienced this. You walk outside, you get in your car, it's a hot summer day, and uh, you buckle your seatbelt, you adjust the mirror, you get everything ready to drive, and you notice something on your windshield that looks like this. Now, uh, you guys grow them differently in Florida. I guess I could say we grow them, I'm a Floridian now, I mean, I got cold this last week and it was like 55 degrees and I was shivering and I thought, what's wrong with me? (laughs) You've seen this guy before, he's on the windshield of your car and you start driving out of the parking lot, only using peripheral vision to drive because you are locked on, focused on this bug that's on your windshield. You've done it before too and it becomes a game. You know the game. I know I'm not the only one that plays this game. You start driving 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour. You keep looking at this guy. He's not budging. He is locked on. His little fingernails are on the pores in the glass. He's holding on. Well, you're gonna show him 20, 25. His wings start to flap a little bit, and you resolve to not use the windshield wipers because that's cheating. 30, 35, oh, he's starting to slip a little bit. He won't let go, he just clings no matter what, and finally you say, I'm going to show him, and so you step on it, 50, 60, 70, until he goes flying off, poor bug, he's 10 miles down the road, away from his family and friends, all because you want to play a game with him. (laughs) What are the bugs in your life? The baggage, the clings, maybe it's memories, burdens hurts or pains or disappointments. Maybe it's scars that cling to your life like a bug on the windshield. Problems, issues, sins, mess ups, past history that's not so past because it affects your present. What are the failures and fiascos and life flops that control your current life? Bad decisions, painful memories, unhealthy relationships, divorce, abuse, hurt feelings, absent parents that were never there for you. Sometimes it'd be nice just to have a clean start, a fresh start, just a clean sheet of paper to write your next page of your story rather than carrying around the dead parts that paralyze you. Today, I hope that you see the beauty of forgiveness in Jesus and what it looks like to be free from what holds you back as we see a story in the Bible that does just that. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to John chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. You can follow along in the Pew Bible, the blue Bible in front of you, on page 753. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context. So Jesus is ministering to people. He's just spent time with the woman at the well. He's told her all about her life and her past life, and he's given her freedom that can only be found in Jesus. He goes uh, next and he speaks words to a son of a royal official who healed, and he is healed just by saying the word. And then John slips this little story in here, and I think it's just for us, a story about healing and restoration. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. 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 Okay, front row is ready. All right. John chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what it says. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed." So there's this pool in Jerusalem, the pool of Bethesda, uh, five different uh, portica shares that cover so that if you're sunbathing, you uh, have a place to go when you get hot. You guys, some of you guys love to sunbathe, some of you are like me and you hate the sun. There's a lady that was here this morning and she was cold all day. She likes the sun. I like the shade. In this place, around the pools, there's no kiddie pools to splash in. There's no hot tubs to soak in. It's just a pool, about 55 feet long, 12 feet wide. Kind of looks like a a lap pool, if you will. And I've been there when we went to Jerusalem, uh, or or this Holy Land trip, I took these plastic vials that you can buy on eBay. It's got a, like a, like a soda pop top that you can seal it up with. And I, I wanted to get water from different areas, different places. I got the Sea of Galilee, I got the Dead Sea, and I wanted to get the Pool of Bethesda. And as we came into Jerusalem through the Sheep Gate, and we walked over to the Pool of Bethesda, this is what I saw. Here it is. You probably can't see it from there, but that's a dry, grassy bottom in the bottom of the pool no water there. So disappointed. I'm going to go home with an empty vial. But there's two pools. There's a southern pool and a northern pool. And to get to the northern pool, you go down these stairs, down underneath the old city, back down to like Jesus time. And you get to this area where there still is water there. Now it's gross water and it smells and there's stuff that floats on the top of it. But I got some of that water. I've been where this story happened. So so you got these pools, and it's inhabited by people that are hurting. They have problems, they're sick, they're ill, some are paralyzed, some are blind, and they sit around the water's edge, and legend has it that if the water moved, and they were the first to get in the water, they'd be healed. And so they hope and they wait just for that movement of the water so they can slip in and possibly be healed. Sounds ridiculous, but it's giving hope, and that's what people want. Hope that there's something better, hope of freedom that they could have, hope that they might be healed. Verse 5, the story goes on. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. I'm 38 years old. Someone in the Bible here, this guy, has been an invalid for my entire lifetime. That's a really long time to be sick. That's a really long time to carry around your dead legs that aren't doing you any good. They aren't helping, they're just slowing him down. And we know what, we don't know what happened. Uh, When I think of stories like this, my mind goes wild, like how did he get, how did he get crippled? How did he get paralyzed? What happened to him? Maybe he was uh, in college and he decided to go cliff jumping with his friends. And they went out to Harrison Bay up in Chattanooga and the big cliffs there and they they saw the water and they said, let's do it. And he jumps and he hits the rocks that are underneath the surface and he's paralyzed. I don't know what happened. Oh, maybe he was a kid. Maybe he uh, got into a really bad accident got run over by a horse and it paralyzed him. I don't know. Maybe he was an adult and he... Got into a relationship with a married woman, and then the husband found out, and he took it out on the guy's legs. I don't know what happened, but this guy's been paralyzed for 38 years, and he lives with a constant reminder of what happened then, day after day. It slows him down. It holds him back. He can't get a job. He can't build friendships. He can't even get into the pool, and for 38 years, he lives in turmoil, begging Begging for money, begging for healing, he lives paralyzed and unable to move on in life. And I would guess that this morning, here in this room, there are some that also have been paralyzed as well. Maybe not 38 years, maybe a, a week, who knows? However long, it doesn't matter because paralysis is awful, and there's only one cure, and it's found in Jesus. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus, he could have picked anybody at this pool. You know, I wonder if he, he asked some other people there, like, hey, so what's wrong with you? And they said, well, I've got this bad migraine. And he says, okay, you'll be all right. I love you too. And he finds the guy, not the one that has a, a hangnail, he finds the one that has been paralyzed as an invalid for 38 years. I'd say he's the worst of the worst. And he picks this guy because he's helpless and he's stuck as he lives with this constant reminder of what happened. Jesus chooses the worst case and he goes on, verse six, here's what happens, a conversation happens. Jesus says, in verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? (laughs) First time I read that, I snicker too a little bit. What are you talking about, Jesus? This is like a, a, a no duh moment, right? This guy, 38 years, he's begging to be healed. I mean, what kind of a question is it? Do you want to get healed? I mean, come on, Jesus, can you ask better questions? And I believe that Jesus probably asked him this for one reason, and it's to show who God really is. See, God doesn't ever force himself on you. That's not a God of love, because love is full, free choice. In fact, true love only comes when you have a choice to reject it. Jesus isn't going to heal somebody against their will. God doesn't impose himself on you because of something he wants. It's full choice. It's full permission. And so Jesus asks this question, do you want to be healed? Because he wants permission before he does it. And so often, we don't allow ourselves to be healed. We don't give permission for it. We keep hanging on to who we were. We cling to past life and past experiences and past relationships. And we cling to the past that makes it a way of life now. It's almost like we're bipolar in our need for healing. Uh, we want nothing more than to get rid of whatever it is that hangs on, but at the same time, all we ever do is think about it, and like a bad nightmare. I have a, I have a, a recurring nightmare, it happens all the time on Friday nights. It's only Friday nights. Uh, some of you know about my recurring nightmare. It didn't happen last night, so we're good. Uh, it, it's, it's this. Um, I'm up here on the platform and you're there in the seats and I stand up and have nothing to preach and it's terrifying. You wouldn't understand. It's awful. <laughs> the problem is, is when I close my eyes to go back to sleep, it's there again. Maybe you've had nightmares before too and you wake up and you say, okay, don't think about that, don't think about that and then you close your eyes and that's all you can think about, Right? We want transformation and restoration in our lives, and change and forgiveness, but instead of focusing on the newness and the freshness and the forgiveness and the good stuff, all we ever think about is the past and what has happened. And so Jesus asks the paralytic just like he asks us, do you want to get well? Do you want to be set free? Are you ready for this? May I have permission to give you healing? And give you the freedom that's found in forgiveness here's the response of the invalid verse 7 sir he says i got no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred while i'm trying to get in somebody else goes in ahead of me he says hey i'm i I would like to be healed but i can't there's nothing i can do about it i'm completely helpless and honestly i believe that it's when we're helpless that jesus can help us the most When you get to a point where you say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. There's nothing I can do, in fact. It's then that he can do the most in your life. Here's what happens as the story continues. Verse 8. Then Jesus says to him, Get up. Pick up your mat. And walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. You know, after having permission, Jesus doesn't do what he normally does. He doesn't... You know, spit in the dirt and and make a, a poultice and put it on his eyes or his legs. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't pull out a magic wand and say, Abracadabra, you're healed. He doesn't anoint him. He just speaks words into his life. He says, Well, if you want to be healed, then get up. It's almost like Jesus says, bro, here's the deal. You're holding on to the past. You're holding on to the past hurt. You're holding on to the past struggle. If you want to be healed, quit letting the past hold you back. Come into the future that I have for you. For 38 years, the guy just walks around with the baggage that holds him back. Those busted good-for-nothing legs, he drags them around. They're anchors on his soul. He hated them. They kept weighing him back and keep, kept him from moving forward. They were just a constant reminder of what had happened. But then Jesus. There's something different that happens when Jesus is around. Things begin to change. Perspectives shift. Your focus changes. It's interesting to me that it's only after the paralytic stops focusing on his need for healing and starts focusing on the healer that Jesus heals him. And it makes me wonder what needs to happen to your perspective and my perspective. What, does, what needs to shift in our gaze? Do we need to change what we look at? Do we need to change our gaze, gaze from what hurts the most to the one that can heal the most? Story goes on because the Pharisees, they hate Jesus. They think he's a troublemaker and a and a, a, a crowd riler and so they're looking for any reason to get him in trouble and so they, they don't know who this is the guy that just got healed doesn't know who it is but they they go and interrogate this man because he's he's changed and so in verse 12 here's the story these pharisees they ask this man the one that was healed they say hey who's this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk and the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the, into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And I pause there because I feel like this passage is full of awkward Jesus conversations. I mean, first he asks no-brainer questions, but now he says these words that if you just look at the surface, it looks like a threat, where he says, hey, 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 don't sin again, otherwise I'm going to give you something worse. Uh, It didn't come from him in the first place, but that's what it feels like here. Jesus could have talked about his new shoes, like, hey, man, I can see you walk again. I'm glad you got some new Jordans. Those are nice. He could have talked about how high he's jumping or how fast he can run. Hey, show me a little sprint here. Let me see what you can do. But Jesus doesn't even talk about his legs. He doesn't even talk about how fast he can run. All he talks about is sin. He says, Don't sin, otherwise something worse could happen to you. And even though I don't think Jesus is threatening him with more paralysis, it's a little awkward. Yet I believe Jesus is really saying, Listen here, buddy. You're forgiven. I forgave you. You're new, you're fresh, you're clean. Don't forget my forgiveness. Allow yourself to have a new start and a fresh start and don't go back to where it was. Instead, move forward into the newness that I've given you. Don't forget my forgiveness. For many of you this morning, the burden that you have been thinking about deals with forgiveness. Maybe you had a nasty divorce so many years ago. There's a lot of that. I've talked to so many families in the last year and a half that are really struggling in their marriage. Maybe you had one where your spouse cheated on you, was unfaithful to you. Now you're remarried. Now you have kids. Now you have a new job and a new life, but the burden of forgiving that cheating husband or wife continues to drag along wherever you go. Or for others of you, you had maybe the worst thing that could ever happen to you. You were abused as a kid or a teenager or even as an adult by someone that you trusted. Someone that said that they loved you and then they betrayed you and now, even though you're not in that bad situation, you still carry the scars, physical and emotional scars of that experience. For some of you, it's simply that you were hurt by the church. Uh, Maybe it's something that someone said or something that someone didn't say. Or maybe it was how you were treated by another church member, or a pastor even, and whatever it is, the hurt or the pain, it steps in between you and your relationship with Jesus, and it hurts, and it carries along with you. Or maybe for some of you, you have a deep, dark secret that you hope nobody ever finds out about. Or maybe you've been accused about something that you never did, but it constantly haunts you and your family. Or maybe this one, this is everybody, maybe you're just someone that struggles with sin, and you know that God's forgiven you, yet you just can't forgive yourself. The need for forgiveness and moving on is at the root of so much baggage that we carry with us. Forgiveness of others and forgiveness of ourselves. I like how Colossians 3 puts it. Here it is on the screen. Paul says, be tolerant of one another and forgive each other. Oh man, what would life look like if you could truly forgive others. What would your baggage look like? Would it diminish? Would it disappear? Forgiveness of others. But there's more. Um, In in all my Greek classes in theology school and southern and seminary, I only really know about four things, let's be honest. Google knows the rest. I just look it up. You could do the same thing. But in Colossians 3, there's something that stood out to me. It reminded me of my classes and it's called a reflexive pronoun. Now you know what a pronoun is. It's, uh, uh, it stands for a noun. So I could say the Forest Lake Church, or I could just say you. You could say Pastor Matt, or, you, or I could just say I. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it stands for something else. And when you read this, this passage, be tolerant of one another and forgive each other, That each other, that pronoun, is a reflexive pronoun, which means the action, the one doing the action, actually does the action to themselves as well. So it says you must forgive him and her and them, but it's also saying you must forgive yourself. In order to move on, in order to start over to find healing, you got to forgive first, whether that's somebody else or yourself. It's in the past. It's history. Let it go. I know it's easy for me to say and it's hard to do, but sometimes there's uh, difficult things that we have to do. And I'll tell you, by holding on to baggage and stuff that's in the past, it keeps you away from understanding God's grace. It cheapens it. He already paid for it on the cross. He already forgave you long ago, and His grace is sufficient to cover all problems and issues and scars. He forgave you a long time ago, and it's, it's time for you to forgive and move forward and to experience His grace. Don't forget His forgiveness. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians. Here's what he says. It's on the screen for you. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, that means if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, He is a new creature. Old things, That's baggage are passed away, behold, all things become new. Brand new. Brand spanking new. Completely different than they were. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. It's on the screen for you. If God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Somebody has to hear that this morning. If Jesus is willing to forgive you, you should forgive you too. One of my favorite authors, Ellen White, she writes in this book called A Call to Stand Apart. She says, if you give yourself to Him, Jesus, and accept Him as your Savior... And sinful as your life may have been, for his sake you're accounted righteous. She goes on, she says, Christ's character stands in place of your character. And you're accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. Amen. When you look at yourself, you look like an ugly, hot mess. But the way you see yourself is not the accurate picture because what truly your picture looks like is how Jesus sees you. And he thought you were enough to die for. This morning, I want to pray for you. uh, Different groups in our church, I want to pray for those that just have forgotten what the feeling of forgiveness from Jesus looks like. I want to pray for those of you that are having a hard time forgiving others. And I want to pray for those of you that are having a hard time forgiving yourself. And so uh, let's pray this morning as we conclude. Heavenly Father, today as you've challenged us, you've pushed us, Maybe there's wounds that have opened up. Maybe it hurts more than it did before. Maybe those scars that were scabbed over are now oozing. God, it hurts. Yet I believe, God, that you have the power to heal us. So I pray for those here this morning that are struggling with forgiving someone else. Some of those that are, are for having a hard time forgiving themselves. And I ask that you'll work a miracle in our hearts today, God. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.